This is the Daily Detail, powered by 1819 News, Honest News. Alabama. Alabama. Our great state. The voice of Alabama values. Alabama. Unbelievable people. And now, here is Andrea Tice. Lieutenant Governor Will Ainsworth was in Mobile earlier this week, and during that time, the I-10 River Bridge issue was brought up. Ainsworth was speaking to the Mobile County GOP Executive Committee when he said that there is certainly money available from the state to finance the project. Ainsworth noted that the southern part of the state is growing in population and business, and he says that both the Education Trust Fund and the General Fund are doing well financially, and the money is there for the Bridge and Bayway project. Ainsworth says that the other part in getting the project done is that the Alabama Department of Transportation needs to make it a priority. There is a pre-filed bill presented by state lawmaker Tim Melson that would ban the sale of land to foreign entities or non-Americans. I was able to talk to Justin Bogey in the Daily Detail studio this week. Bogey is the director of fiscal policy with the Alabama Policy Institute. He explained to me what appears to be the impetus for such a bill being presented before the upcoming Alabama legislature starts in 2022. Well, I think there's this perception out there that all of America's farmland is being bought up by foreign countries and and the the one that the national politicians seem to point to is China. And so there you know China made a big purchase of uh, Smith, Smithfield Foods a few years ago so they have a big stake in the US pork market and I don't know if the fear is that you know someday we're going to have a food shortage and China's going to take all of our food and send it back to China um, or or if that's really what the the fear is but um, that seems to be what this legislation is aimed at. They, they think it's a problem for foreigners coming into Alabama and buying up our land and that it's somehow going to affect our food supply and, you know, we won't be able to feed Alabama and, and America. On its face value, I don't have a problem with. I think they're right in, yeah. in the sense that we we're, we're in a kind of a... Well, it's a strange time right now, That certainly, and, and we're seeing food shortages. Every, you know, I went to the store yesterday and tried to buy cabbage or something and, and you couldn't find it anywhere. Right. Um, so I can certainly understand that, but you know, where, how do we balance that risk if there is a risk against the freedom of individuals to, you know, decide who they want to sell their property to? Do they, should they be able to sell it to the highest bidder if they're a foreigner or should they have to take a, a lesser amount of money for their farmland if it's, um, you know, from someone else, if they can't sell to a foreigner. Um, so, so I think there's kind of an interesting individual liberty and freedom to ha- what to choose what you're going to do with your property there, too. Then Justin and I discussed whether or not this type of restriction on a landowner's right to sell is going to truly address the intent behind the bill, which is to protect the food supply for Alabamians. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think he probably is. It's a well-intended bill. But um, again, the data that we have available it shows that almost all of this land is timber land. It's former international paper land, actually, um, which, you know, as far as I know, doesn't have anything to do with the food supply. So if it's really a food supply issue, then I think they need to make that argument in, in a better way and, and show why this is so important. If you want to create a self-sufficient Alabama, seems like there would be a, a certain amount of acreage that would be yeah. required to be in use mm-hmm. for farming. Yeah, as far as I know, there is no requirement, uh, but that that would make that, that would make sense that would when be, you're doing these land sales. You mean, yeah, 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 or just ensure that there's enough people doing the farming, whether they're foreign or domestic, mm-hmm. that are invested in in doing the farming here in Alabama to the degree that it would be make us self sufficient. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Yeah, and then and then of course 
more restrictions on making sure they don't send it overseas. Mm. Couldn't couldn't you circumvent it that way? I, I think you could. Yeah, I, I'm sure you could put trade restrictions in place um, to do that. Um, and again, I think those would make more sense in, in at least the short term um, instead of just putting this widespread ban in place that tells people that they can't sell their land to whoever they want to sell it to. Right. Thanks uh, very much, Justin Bogey, for coming in. Thank you. The Alabama Department of Labor has been very busy addressing one issue that has arisen since the onset of the COVID-19 virus. The department is working with law enforcement to find and prosecute those who are abusing federal stimulus checks or unemployment benefits. Tara Hutchinson with the State Labor Department told WSFA News that there are now 340,000 potential fraud cases here in Alabama that are related to the pandemic relief packages that were passed by Congress in 2021. Fortunately, 43% of those total case numbers were flagged as suspicious before any money went out in the form of a check. So about 146,000 cases never got the money offered through federal or state assistance programs. Hutchinson says that scammers who have been trying to get hold of that money have been stealing identities to do so. Some have even targeted the unemployed by pretending to be the Alabama Department of Labor in order to get information that they could then go on to exploit. Hutchinson says that about $1 billion has been stolen by way of fraud and about $5.5 billion has been averted from being stolen by these fraudsters. A chemical manufacturing plant in Decatur, Alabama, is facing some serious fines from a federal agency. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration is proposing a $230,000 fine just this week. OSHA says that Dakin's exposure of employees to dangerous toxins caused the death of two workers and made other workers ill. OSHA says that the lack of protective equipment and safe work practices is the reason that exposure happened last year in July when three chemical operators were exposed to fluorocarbon and other toxins and suffered respiratory failure. OSHA is citing Dakin American for nine serious and one willful violation. Dakin released a public statement saying the company continues to mourn the loss of the two employees, and with the possibility of further litigation, they are limiting their comments on this latest action coming from OSHA. A study by United Van Lines shows that Alabama is a welcome refuge for those fleeing states with stricter COVID-19 policies and practices. In 2021, Americans moved either westward or to the south, as determined by the moving company's 45th Annual National Migration Study. Alabama was ranked number six in the nation by United Van Lines for inbound residents, while the state also retained the majority of people that are here. The reasons for moving to Alabama include retirement, occupation change, lifestyle change, and cost of living. Other states who got a lot of inbound residents, Vermont, South Dakota, South Carolina, and West Virginia. Numbers from the U.S. Census Bureau support the idea that COVID-19 policies is also behind some of these moves, since the number of inbound moves to Alabama compared to outbound moves didn't see a spike until after the COVID-19 virus outbreak. For more in-depth stories affecting the state of Alabama, go to 1819news.com. In national news, today the U.S. Supreme Court will hear two lawsuits brought to them against the Biden administration regarding vaccine mandates. The one case has to do with the vaccine mandate being implemented within businesses with over 100 employees. The other case has to do with applying the vaccine to those with contracted medical services connected to Medicare and Medicaid. The Biden administration is enforcing the vaccine mandate through the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. OSHA will require face masks and weekly testing for those who refuse the vaccine, as well as issue hefty fines on the businesses who don't comply. 
At issue with these cases is whether OSHA has the legal authority to enforce such a sweeping mandate, especially under an emergency temporary standard that was put in place by OSHA to implement the shot. Six out of nine emergency temporary standards that have been issued by OSHA in the past have gone before a court, and of those six, five have been struck down. The Journal of the American Medical Association has released several opinion pieces written by former members of an advisory board for President Joe Biden when he was assuming office within the White House. Now those advisors are recommending that the White House change course in how it handles the COVID-19 virus outbreak. The six doctors first start out by saying that COVID-19 is here to stay in some variant form or another, and they urge Biden to update his national strategy on dealing with the virus with that reality in mind. The doctors say that a goal of getting to a new normal should not include the idea that eradication or elimination is possible and noted that current vaccines do not provide immunity from the SARS-CoV-2 family of infections. The doctors say that COVID-19 is going to be on the health landscape much like influenza is every year and that up until COVID-19 erupted, people had been living normal lives even under the threat of catching the flu. This week, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about this article and responded to the reporter. Has the president been advised on whether it's likely that we will have to live with COVID in some form or another forever by his current team? Uh, I have not had the opportunity. It's obviously been a busy day to read these articles. I'm happy to do that, and I don't believe the president has. Um, I think I answered the question a little bit earlier. In terms of advice given by his health and medical experts, I'd really point you to them to ask them that question. And just sort of following up on Darlene's question, does Does the president believe that COVID is here to stay? Again, the president's goal is to defeat the virus. Well, the discharges have begun in mass when it comes to military members refusing to take the vaccine as mandated by the Department of Defense. 20 naval sailors and more than 250 U.S. Marines have now been discharged from their enlistment. As of this week, the U.S. Navy revealed that more than 5,000 active duty sailors and 3,000 in the reserves are still unvaccinated. 300 temporary medical exemptions and 74 administrative exemptions have been approved by the Navy. Over 3,000 of those active-duty sailors have requested religious exemptions from the vaccine mandate. No religious exemptions have been granted. Earlier this week, a federal judge sided with over 30 U.S. Navy SEALs who filed a lawsuit against the DOD for not honoring their religious exemption applications. The Boston Marathon bomber who is serving time in prison is going to have to cough up some money as ordered by a federal court judge. Dokar Zanarov is currently on death row, appealing his death sentence that was issued for the 2015 bombing that killed three people and injured hundreds. Zarnoff took part in that bombing with his brother, who is now deceased. Zarnoff apparently received $1,400 to his prison funds account in the mail as part of the coronavirus relief fund. He used that money to buy gifts and books for family members, despite being under orders to pay more than $101 million in restitution. Prosecutors brought the case to a judge, saying the defendant is prioritizing payments to siblings rather than the victims of his crime. The federal judge in Massachusetts has authorized the money that's currently in Zarnoff's account to be taken to make restitution payments. Well, cold weather and cold-hearted human traffickers is a dangerous combo. Border Patrol agents in Texas found an abandoned cargo trailer alongside the highway. They then heard people pounding on the walls from inside. 25 people had been locked and sealed inside with no ventilation or heat, with temperatures in that part of the state dipping very low overnight. The trailer had been suddenly left there by human smugglers. 
You're listening to The Daily Detail from 1819 News. You won't want to miss out on Phil Williams on Right Side Radio as he talks to Lieutenant Governor Will Ainsworth, who called into the program. Hey, I didn't call you on just to talk about COVID. Um, really, the legislative session is what we're talking about. So, kicks off next week. Uh, I recognize that you're technically the executive who presides over one of the bodies, uh, uh, the Senate, but yet you see the legislative agendas. You know what's coming. Um, what do you think are the big ticket items for this particular session? You got anything in mind? Yeah, I mean, we've got a couple of agendas. And as you know, I'm chair of the military, to the, excuse me, military stability commission and also, you know, small business commissions in our wheelhouse. And so we have some bills dealing with that. So I'm dealing a little bit with airspace as well. It's another area we work in. But on small business commission, you know, we're looking at um, a bill and we got to see if we can get these passed, you know, dealing with the business privilege tax, um, getting rid of that for businesses having a threshold on the personal property tax. That's another bill. Um, one I think you'll really like is change. Um, you know, we've got a big problem with people, um, you know, once they go to unemployment, you know, right now, they, I think the rule is they got to look for unemployment like once a week, right? And there's not a whole lot of teeth in that. So we've got a bill. We've been working with Rosemary Elbash and the NFIB and other small business leaders, but change the uh, once a week job search for drawing unemployment and change it to where they'd have to search for work five times weekly and document their job search, then report that to the Department of Labor to make sure they continue to draw unemployment. But, yeah. you know, what I want your listeners to realize is we've got to get people back working. This dependence on government has to end, and it's time for Alabama to take a strong stand. And one of our bills through the Small Business Commission will do that because we're going to create a whole generation that's dependent on government and not understanding what it means to work. And we've got to stop that now. You can find more of Phil Williams at rightsideradio.org. If you're enjoying the daily detail, don't forget that you can subscribe on Spotify or Apple podcasts to have the reports readily available on any of your electronic devices. I'm Andrea Tice. I'll be back again on Monday. Until then, have a wonderful weekend. Alabama. Alabama. Our great state. Alabama. Of Alabama. This has been The Daily Detail. For more up-to-date news, go to 1819news.com, where you'll find honest news and Alabama values. 